stories, real stories from real midwives. This is Head On View. Day in the life. <laughs> she said, "What? These are our stories." Welcome to another episode of Head On View. I'm Carly. Beers up, beers up, beers up, beers up. And today, because of life, I'm solo hosting, but I'm not solely by myself, so you don't just have to listen to me rabbit on. I have got a guest today. I'm talking to Vicky from Nursing and Midwifery Advocacy Solutions. So hi, Vicky. Hi, Carly. So tell us a little bit about your background before we get into this. So I have been an enrolled nurse mm-hmm. for many, many years, well over 30 years. I have been nursing for a long time as an enrolled nurse, particularly in the periop environment. So yeah. I did work in various hospitals until I found my little niche. And once I discovered the periop unit, that was it for me for 25 years. Yeah. So I loved the operating theatre. I worked in a a big hospital in Sydney Mm -hmm. and I decided that there were some things that needed addressing in the workplace. So I became an activist and a workplace rep for what was then the New South Wales Nurses Association. And so that started me on my more formal activism. I'd always been a kid or a a teenager that was already active. I was the teenager ringing talkback radio writing letters to the editor of papers. So when I discovered the union movement, it was something that I felt really strongly about, and that was because I knew that impacts on nurses and midwives in the workplace generally did impact on patients. And so I really felt that there was a need for that, and that was way back in the late 1990s. So then I did a few other things, Mm -hmm. as we do when we're in our 20s, travel and various things. Around the early 2000s, I became more active in a workplace up in Queensland. Mm -hmm. Again, I was still working in periop environment. Yeah. So I got active for the Queensland Nurses Union. And subsequent to that, I, I became employed at the QNU, as it was then known as an organiser looking after nurses and midwives that worked in the private sector and the what is now called the diverse sector. So I was employed at the QNMU for over 10 years in that role. I looked after, I guess, thousands of members in southeast Queensland with the team. Yep. And that was a job that I really felt my niche, if you like. And I was then extensively educated both in industrial matters, professional mm-hmm. practice, workplace health and safety, negotiating enterprise agreements, basically a whole gamut. And during my stint at the QNMU, I did a rotation in what is called servicing, basically. So that's where individual nurses have a workplace issue and they seek representation or advice from their union. So I did a stint in servicing for three months. And I thought I was pretty good at it, to be honest. I'm a pretty confident person (laughs) most of the time. I did, however, find it a little bit more emotionally taxing because many of the nurses and midwives that I supported and represented were very, very, I guess, damaged and unwell because of the impacts of a disciplinary process. Yeah. Often a disciplinary process that has not been appropriately managed. So I liked being an organiser because I liked having a bit of hope. And so gave me that experience to represent nurses from all sectors. So not just private sector, mm-hmm. but from public sector yeah. and also private and public aged care. And if you have a job somewhere for 10 and a half years, you get to know a lot. At the end of 2020, I stopped working for the QNNU. Mm-hmm. I was provided what I thought was a wonderful opportunity to relaunch another business that was providing industrial support to nurses. 
Um, I don't want to name that business. No, that's fine. Yeah, I won't give them the breath that they they don't deserve. Quite frankly, I, uh, so for the first time in my life, I was working in a workplace that was very challenging, absolutely inappropriate behaviour by the CEO of the business. And I was tasked with relaunching his business. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of work in the nine days I was employed for him. And there were a couple of things that were very inappropriate that I knew that I had made a mistake. And and yes, for the first time, I got terminated. Effective immediately, walked off the premises, treated like I had done something wrong. And that was, again, because I was asking questions about the workplace. There was a lot of things that I'd I'd been reassured about that were not Mm -hmm. appearing. So when I ceased employment there, I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? I haven't been in a clinical setting for a long time. I applied for a few jobs Mm -hmm. that I thought I had the skills for and wasn't successful. However, I think the universe looked after me because it, it did turn out that I was very unwell. But in that time between uh, being terminated and finding out that I, I was sick, I had some very, very close friends that live in England that have known my family before I was born. And they encouraged me to consider starting my own business. And why couldn't I do the business that I had just spent nine days sort of getting for a relaunch? Why didn't I consider it? And if I hadn't have had that experience with him for those nine days, I wouldn't have had the belief I had become a, a member of a of an online Facebook group uh, called Nurses and Midwives Against Bullying Australia. You may have heard of them. Yes, yes, I have. I'm a member and I will, I'll pop a, a link to the group as well. So during that time, I started off just as a participant mm-hmm. and then I became moderator and then I became an administrator. And again, by the messaging and the exchanges that I could see, again, I realized nurses and midwives really are not very proactive or very good at conflict resolution in the workplace. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of inappropriate behaviors. And so I actually grew a bit concerned because I was reading advice that was being provided thinking, no, 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 there's a risk to this. And so it progressed from there. And so I thought, yep, I'm going to launch my own business. I'm going to give it a crack. I was able to start the initial phase and Mm -hmm. I actually went on a program that the government runs, helping new business called the NEAT scheme. And I went onto the NEAT scheme. Mm-hmm. And I literally had started all the, you know, sourcing of a website developer and all of those other things. And then I did get a cancer diagnosis. And I'm very upfront with that because I'm an open yeah. book. And I decided that I couldn't launch the business when I wanted to because I didn't want to be offering a service that I'm not, I, I couldn't provide. Yeah. So that's why it was generally on hold. But in the meantime, I was still working with the NAMABA group and I started to provide one-on-one advice to some of the members in the group, which again was good practice for me. It was great for me to be able to ask for feedback because I need to know, is this model going to work because there are anybody offering it? And so I've developed what my product is and that is providing affordable advice it's a subscription-based business so Mm -hmm. you can pay monthly or annually Mm -hmm. a 10 percent of the fees that you pay uh, to me to subscribe Uh, then if you are a member of of what I call NAMABA which is the the bullying action group I give 10 percent to NAMABA yeah because for us to attain what we want uh, we need a campaign and you need money for that. Yeah, of course. So there is a partnership there with the NAMABA group, administrator group, that I will be able to provide that, that advice. And it's using the frameworks that are already in place because unfortunately, as you know, within nursing and we're free, we talk a lot about our culture. And very, very sadly, 
I, I believe that the inappropriate behaviour and unreasonable behaviour has got worse. A lot of the time we talk about bullying, but it's much more than that. It's often uh, driven by employer representatives who are who are under pressure themselves to meet their KPIs, which may often be more about budgets. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And as a nurse, I feel very strongly that the impact of a workplace that has conflict is not very good for the patients or residents either. So, A hundred percent not. And then talking about the culture, because I remember even as a student, so I've been um, a nurse and midwife for six years, but I remember even as a student being told about this nursing culture and how I think everyone's heard that saying like nurses eat their young. And it just seems so sort of against the type of people that you would assume to get into nursing and midwifery that they would have this culture where bullying is just so ingrained. Well, it's interesting. Obviously, I need to earn a living. I haven't worked now for basically for 16 months, but it's much more than that for me. It's something I feel really strongly about. I would like to be able to share information. I'm not going to say educate because I'm not an educator, yeah. but certainly I can provide information and advice so that nurses understand how to escalate workplace issues, particularly if there is bullying and inappropriate behavior. But one thing I would like to clarify is, you know, bullying to me is peer-to-peer, yes, colleague-to-colleague, and there is that general lack of collegial generosity. There is a lot more to it now because often there's an imbalance of power and it's often it's member, it's employer representatives who are the perpetrators of unreasonable behavior. Generally, when you have the conversation with Mm -hmm. nurses and midwives, it becomes much more, to me, it becomes very evident that actually they may be breaching uh, the workplace health and safety framework. They might be breaching your enterprise agreements. They might be breaching your industrial rights. They might be putting you at risk of uh, breaching the NMBO code of conduct for nurses and midwives. And to me, that's not just bullying. There is a purpose to that, which I, I've posted a few comments that yeah. often bullying, there is a reason. And often it's about costs, it's about employer uh, representatives within nursing and midwifery who are given direction. I believe they too are in very vulnerable positions, but I have said before that you tend to have to sell yourself to the dark side to become a manager. (laughs) And generally, the good managers, the good leaders, they don't stay in these positions because they actually will themselves raise the concerns around patient safety, non-compliance of yeah. the enterprise agreement, and they're not deemed a suitable employer representative. And they could be amazing people, amazing nurses, but they too are in a vulnerable position. So I think that every nurse and midwife is potentially subjected to inappropriate, unreasonable mm. or unlawful behaviour. I think it's definitely saying that we as midwives and nurses need to know sort of how to handle this situation. Just speaking from my own experience. So we previously did a podcast on bullying because so many people had experienced and I'd experienced it myself with a, with a senior staff member. So this was before I left the public hospital I was at in Melbourne to work as a travel midwife. And it got to the point where several other people had been bullied by this senior person as well. Complaints had been put in and, you know, went through the process, like went to a manager, went to a union rep. So going through the process and literally nothing happened to this person. She would be at work just laughing about it the next day. And so to me, I was like, okay, nothing going to happen. The only situation I could see for myself was to take myself out of the situation yep. because I don't want to stay in a situation where I don't want to go to work and why I'm feeling awful. And so it started that I changed my shifts I worked so I could work on shifts that I knew this person would never work on. And then in the end, not just for that reason, but I, I actually ended up leaving the job, which is probably the best thing I did for myself. But when other people are asking for advice and and you sort of say, okay, well, you can go down these ropes, you know, but in my experience, I haven't seen them work. And when the only solution you can offer to fellow colleagues is say, well, quit your job, it doesn't really seem like that's. That is the best solution. Yeah. I will often say to 
nurses and midwives that I meet, both when I was an employee uh, at the QNMU, but also mm-hmm. just in general conversation, is if you don't learn how to address a workplace issue, you don't understand what you can and cannot do in relation to escalation. Yeah. Often it's about there is a robust policy in place, there's laws in place, nurses will make a complaint and then there's a bit of pushback and they completely retreat and they do what you did and they go, you know what, this isn't worth it, I'm going to go and get another job. There is Mm. going to be a real critical nurse shortage because, as you know, thousands of nurses and midwives are leaving because of the culture. What's more pressure on those that uh, remain? So I like to think that if you stay and actually make your employer comply very politely, respectfully, actually ensure they follow it. Now, you shouldn't have to do that, but the reality is we do. You can do nothing about a workplace issue. You can do something or you can do everything. I've partnered with a workplace dispute lawyer, and I was very pleased to hear him make a comment, which was very uh, much aligned to my thoughts, and that is, if you do something, you've raised your head, you've let them know that you've recognized there is an issue, whether it's non-compliance or whether or not there is just some things that you want to raise. If you then back off as soon as they push back, that sends a clear message to them that they can behave that way and it works. So why would they change their behavior if it works? Well, then when you leave a place where you have been inappropriately treated and unreasonably treated and you go to your next place of work, more often than not, you've come along with all of that damage, if you like. And so it, the same thing happens. And often if you have been a victim of these behaviours, you might actually feel that there's inappropriate behaviour at your next place of work that may not actually be occurring, but you have expectation bias. Okay. So you go into the next place of work expecting that nurses and midwives are going to behave in this way because that's our culture, that's what happens, that's what we have to accept. And you mentioned about being a student. Uh, I know for a fact placements are incredibly difficult often for students. So students are going to be able to join as a subscriber. But then when you're a new grad, Oh my goodness, is that a hard year to get through? That's such a hard transition. Absolutely, especially because many of the uh, employers will put a new grad on a one-year contract. All the contracts are standard one year, yeah. And I am well aware of a number of new grads that have been terminated. I have been present when they have been terminated. And often it is that there have been clinical issues But again, when you unpack it, you find they weren't given any corporate support. They were never told what their errors were. They're often put in in unsafe positions where they are the team leader, especially in the smaller facilities, the regional. Yeah. What is such a risk both to that poor new grad, but also to the patients? A number of years ago, I attended a professional seminar and I was always on the lookout to meet private sector nurses and midwives. Yeah. I think that that's probably where there is far less transparency and accountability and they hide behind commercial and confidence, et cetera, et cetera. So it does tend to be often private sector and they are driven by a need to make a profit. There was a particular person asked a couple of questions at this professional seminar and I thought oh I'm going to go tap them and say hello and introduce myself she actually turned out to be an educator from the university Mm -hmm. got talking about a particular facility and that facility was one of the facilities that I had carriage of so I knew what was going on there so when she was telling me that the students had come back and had made complaints about what sort of tasks they were expected to do that they had no real authority Mm -hmm. to do I said to her oh so you must know and I named the Don that obviously I'm not going to name now yeah and then I I said oh you must know and she said why who's that and I said well she's the director of nursing would you not have approached uh her about what's occurring 
because this is unsafe. And she actually said to me, no, because if we do that, we run the risk of losing those placements. So that to me indicated from the moment you start your nursing training or, or degree, you are put in a position to expect that the rules are going to be broken and let's just forget about it and not worry about the impact for you as an individual, but also your patients and your residents. So it's almost like we're almost doomed, if you like. Because I know. It just sounds awful because as, as a student, you feel like your educator, your university are meant to be looking after you. And it was always, the educator was sort of like, oh, there's always an issue. Your first port of call was your educator to go and say, this is going on. But then when you hear things like, oh, they know it's an issue, but they don't want to do anything. And I get that yes. like placements are limited, but is is that better to send someone into a place where you know they're going to be unsafe? And Absolutely. Well, yeah, Absolutely. That's not a good solution. And, you know, there are a number of private sector employers that accept students. And my personal view is that they are definitely used as an extra pair of hands so that they don't have to appropriately roster yeah seen it with Mars. <laughs> absolutely so there we go we've started off a career where we've been told the regulations don't count well they do count because I will tell you now if you make an error a clinical yeah. error that has an adverse uh, effect or impact on a patient mm-hmm. and you did not escalate it and you did not document it appropriately under the nurse's code of conduct for example principle two Mm-hmm. It says you must document and escalate. So yeah. guess what happens? Everyone in a workplace goes, because nothing happens, I'll just have to work harder. I'll work through my breaks. I'll do unpaid overtime. But to protect if there is an incident or an event or a complaint, it is the individual that is looked at. Of and course. Yeah. It is the individual who, if they say, well, no, I didn't document it, I didn't escalate it, because I was fearful of the repercussions. Mm-hmm. If this ended up in a coroner's or with uh, a, a health ombudsman or APRA, mm-hmm. they're going to say to you, you breached your code of conduct. There is no excuse because they put that in there and they changed the wording back in 2018. It's not you may. It actually is a professional practice obligation. Now, your NUM or your DON or your CNC they too are nurses and they are registered and they have the same obligations. And I will tell you, again, a senior manager, if they need to protect their brand, they will look to somebody to blame. That's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. I know like where I've been working recently, there's a lot of us that have been putting in like, you know, double shifts, extra hours, because essentially there just isn't the staff there. So if you leave and go home off the ship, you know that you're kind of screwing over your colleagues, which you don't want to do. But then on the other side, I remember that I'd seen with the union that they don't cover you insurance-wise if you're doing a double shift because for them it's deemed unsafe. But then you're at the point where I'm like, okay, this is unsafe. Do I work? You know, what happens if I make an error because I'm at the end of an 18-hour shift? And look, I used to have to talk to a lot of nurses about these long hours. Often nurses are on minimum contracted hours and they need multiple employers. So they end up having to, you know, do back-to-backs for different employers, but also in one workplace. In relation to the union not representing you, most unions or associations will represent you as long as you uh, have not committed a criminal act. Now, what that means is they can't necessarily get you out of trouble, but they will walk with you and take you through the steps. And depending where it's been referred to or how you have to respond, they will uh, take you through that process. So you are uh, still, you still have options to use the union as an individual matter. They might call it whatever, a request for representation form, but you can definitely still get that representation. The problem is is that if you do a double shift and you've worked 18 hours and you make an error and you end up at the coroner's, and again, we hate to think worst case scenario, but this is what is happening and it's getting worse because there are less nurses. So again, you don't want to leave 
the ward in a state of flummox. So you leave and then that snowballs. The problem with that is then nurses look to each other to blame and nurses feel bad because they've taken a break. That is their lawful entitlement. Instead, they should be looking at the employer. And there are many ways you can deal with this. You can deal with it through to start to get some written evidence. So you can start to do things, put them on a staff meeting agenda and start to get things minuted. If you don't document and escalate and you work an 18-hour shift, that is a workload issue, obviously. You should be filling in a form now or putting something in writing. It doesn't even matter to be truthful. It's on the back of a a, a post-it note. As long as you've documented and escalated it, and again, if you became a member, a, a subscriber of my business, which I call NAMAS, uh, Nursing and Midwifery Advocacy Solutions, then I will walk those steps with you. So I will say, right, if you want to address this, this is how you frame it. And again, you have to do it in a respectful way that is factual. As nurses, we tend to run on emotion and we and you have to be a little bit more dogmatic and in your approach and, and certainly very much looking at your employer policy, your employer enterprise agreement, because in many of them now there is a workload management clause. So again, nurses can get involved in enterprise bargaining and start to push those things. Because if you have a nursing forum at your place of work, those are the issues that can be brought to the table. Workload uh, management, and I participated in those meetings, and there is explanations given, and some are reasonable and some are not. If there is a one-off incident in a workplace, and it's highly unusual that you would be asked to work a double or work 16 hours, okay, but it's not anymore. It's systemic. No, it's, it's and the norm, nurses, yeah. there's employers, whether they're public or private, aren't putting on meal relief or they don't put on a float or they don't appropriately support the more junior nurses or there are uh, a lot of enrolled nurses because everyone now believes that an enrolled nurse does the same work. Well, let me tell you, they may do the same work, but they don't have authority to do that. So again, it's about us accepting these unsafe situations for both mm-hmm. us as registrants, but also the impact on the patients. So my feeling, to be really honest, is if you want to give up your lawful entitlements that people have, or you don't follow up appropriately with your employer to make sure that you've got the documentation and evidence to show that they're breaching that particular entitlement, you probably should think, okay, I'm giving away my industrial rights, but am I still a patient advocate? And to be truthful, yeah. if as a nurse, you are no longer a patient advocate because you are so fearful of what's going to happen to you, then I question, should you still be nursing? It sounds brutal, but yeah. over 10 years and the things I heard and the things I have witnessed is despicable, whether it's by nurses not doing the appropriate thing, particularly again around professional practice obligations and our standards of practice, or unfounded allegations that you know are unfounded, then I feel strongly that we need to do something about that. And absolutely you can. So it's about documenting it. It's about escalating it. It's about highlighting that actually I am following my code of conduct yeah, uh, I am following principle two and I am reporting and escalating this. Now, the NMBA also put in what I believe is, is more highlighted is in, again, the code of conduct for nurses and it is in the midwives, but I don't know that off by hand. There is a particular thing around behaviours and it says in our code of conduct that they will not tolerate or it's unacceptable, it's unlawful to bully and treat others inappropriately if you are a registrant. Yes. So again, why can't we use that when we are escalating things? So you have employer policies. Usually they're very, very robust policies. Mm. Even if they're not being complied with, they are still very robust. You've got your workplace health and safety around fatigue management and that. And so again, if you are regularly being rostered, 
then you should be bringing that up as a team, in my view, and getting it minuted and having a plan. So if that means you're going to talk at a staff meeting that you do clinical work, but you don't do non-clinical work, Mm -hmm. uh, patient notes are deemed clinical. But any of the other administrative work that you're expected to do, particularly if you're on a night shift, you don't do it and you document it and it gets passed to the next shift. We were unable to complete this. And if you can articulate that you've documented it and escalated and these are the reasons and a manager tried to enforce some sort of or take some action against you, then we go to the next step. And that is about escalating it up, up the food chain if you like. And you don't just do it internally. You have, there are organizations, businesses, regulators that you can escalate to. But often, once a a manager knows that an employee knows their rights and that they framed it in a way, because I will tell you, a lot of these middle managers don't know either. They're not appropriately educated in the Mm. role of a manager. When I started nursing years ago, Absolutely. Your senior nurses in your unit were your advocates and they did a lot of additional education in relation to nursing management. You very seldom hear now that that's afforded middle managers and I believe that that potentially could be deliberate because very easy then if a manager or a CNC or whoever is the senior nurse on duty has not been appropriately taught how to understand an enterprise agreement or an award or doesn't know the implications, then we've got this never-ending circle of everybody scrambling, everyone trying to do their best, everyone working through their breaks and everyone thinking that that's actually what's going to help. It's not. It's not helping. You actually all need to act collectively and that's where the union movement comes into play. And certainly I want to be able to work with any nurse that belongs to any association and I would encourage everybody to ensure that they go to any education that they can to help them in the long term. And again, many unions and education uh, associations offer education yes. that isn't necessarily taken up. And again, it's not taken up because nurses may need to lose wages. So there are things that can be brought into the enterprise agreement that could help with these things. So if we just generally got more involved and, and informed ourselves about what we can and can't do or how we can, what path we might be able to follow, because definitely if you're working an 18-hour shift, you're the equivalent of a drunk driver, you are far more likely to make errors, you are far more likely to injure yourself. Not sure now, but I do know as well in relation to insurance for a journey claim. I am aware, for example, where somebody they'd been un, um, unapproved or hadn't been authorized overtime, they'd stayed at a facility longer and on their way home, they had an accident and unfortunately they passed away. Yeah. It took many years to get that through because they, the insurers wanted proof that that nurse had remained on the premises because, of course, for a journey claim, if you go by the shops or whatever, you're not covered. So we were able to say, where was this person? They were uh, on site without authorization. We need to prove it. Now, I've worked at places where if you do a double shift where it was just standard, they would give you a cab charge so that you didn't have to drive home because of the tightness. But then I've worked at other places where it, it kind of seems that everyone's just doing doubles all the time. So that it's like it's not even offered. I'm not even sure if they meant to if they're meant to offer you a cab charge or if yeah. The use of risk man to identify workload issues or inappropriate behaviour seems to be on the increase. And many employers will tell tell their their nurses and midwives, fill in a risk man. Well, I will tell you now I call it the risk man abyss. Because if you if they don't have a proper process and the new the staff aren't aware of the proper process of what's to happen when you fill in a risk man, uh, then really it's meaningless because you may not be aware that you have to go back in and look at the bottom and see what the outcome. They don't go to every individual nurse that's filled in a risk man because there are hundreds filled in. 
the yeah. nurse will come and go going, oh, I did a risk man. But in some ways, risk man is then being turned around and used as a disciplinary, as evidence. And okay. yeah. I encourage nurses to stop using just risk man personally. Do a yeah. risk man, but if you're going to do a risk man, make sure you know what the number is. If you can get a copy of it, because often you are not approached to discuss a particular issue or incident, they just come to their own decision. If there is a workplace issue, for example, and, and you were named as the risk at, from a risk man form, you know, so you were the perpetrator of some sort of inappropriate activity. If your employer tried to discipline that person, you should be afforded what's called natural justice and procedural yep. fairness principles. And that is the one thing that is not happening. So as you know, nurses are tapped. Can we have a chat? And before they know it, they're in some sort of process that they're not even aware of it's formal or informal. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't know uh, who made an allegation because there's this broad, like, of, you know, oh, you've been um, heard to be inappropriate. Oh, no, we can't provide those details because that person wants to remain anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> well, as a nurse, a midwife, you have a right then to say, well, I will not be able to respond until I'm appropriately advised when it happened, who was involved, what's the allegation, so that they can appropriately respond. If you are given allegations and you can't respond and your employer says, oh, no, no, this isn't disciplinary, I would question if you've got HR sitting in there or, or your hmm. director of clinical services, it is absolutely a formal uh, investigation. Formal meeting, yes. <laughs> and so nurses, again, think they're going to get out of any situation by being truthful and explaining and sadly doesn't always work. So for me, it's about saying, right, if you put in this form, this may happen to you. If you decide to ignore it and there's an incident, this may happen to you. And let's, if you're going to do something, then you need to do everything till it's resolved. And often, as I've said, once the senior nurse knows that there is an, an, an educated and informed employee, whether you're a nurse, <laughs> midwife or other, yeah. generally they will back off. So again, if you, for example, have one of those little tap tap, can we have a chat about something? and suddenly it becomes disciplinary or you feel like there's some accusations being made, you have a right to say, could you please stop? I would uh, like you to put these in writing for me. Now, again, they don't have to, but you just say, I'm unable to respond because I need to know all the details. And then you're holding them to account, basically. Whereas nurses, I guess, if somebody does raise an issue in the workplace yeah everyone else is looking the other way like making sure oh my god make sure no one thinks I'm involved in this I yeah, don't, don't look at me. <laughs> and then that poor person is on their own they've trying to do the right thing by themselves at their colleagues and their patients or residents but they're on their own and then they again start to feel I guess have some impact on their psychological well-being there's a lot of talk now about the impact on our well-being in the workplace particularly for nurses and midwives no one really seems to know how to tackle it well I'll tell you why don't we actually make the regulations and the lawful entitlements how about escalating it so I want to be able to work with individuals that's my key here I'm, I'm not in any way a threat to unions or associations hmm. A number of my subscribers have had issues. Some are disciplinary, some are not. And then I cannot tell you the sense of happiness that I feel when someone says to me, oh my goodness, I cannot tell you how that chatting to you has helped me feel that yeah. I can go in and deal with this. Yeah, because you and feel empowered. Like once you've got the knowledge yeah, how to handle a absolutely. situation. And we always talk about sort of like advocating for yourself in situations, but if you're not educated or know your rights it's very hard to stand up for yourself if you don't know what you yes. can stand up for yes yeah. and I've had nurses and midwives say well how, how am I supposed to know this well I will argue if you're a registrant of APRA it's part of your job in, yeah you <laughs> need to know your code of conduct and yeah. a lot of nurses probably don't like what I'm about to say but I am very truthful in what I see 
And unfortunately, we have contributed to this. We have accepted it. We have let patients potentially get seriously injured. And I know that for a fact. When are we going to actually say, okay, that's enough now? We have over 420,000 nurses registered in Australia. You only need 20 from each facility to stand together before that employer will take note. It's very easy to fob one individual off, etc. And I want to say, you know, this isn't just about employers. We do know there's peer-to-peer bullying. Employers are probably far more willing to step in and assist with that than they are if, if the inappropriate behaviour is being perpetrated by a manager or an employer yeah. representative. And that's what generally happens, unfortunately, in today's climate. It's not just nurses being inappropriate with their peers. It's definitely coming from employer representatives. So blanket advice, if you had someone who was feeling like they were being bullied, I guess the first step, make sure that they're, they're documenting or, or have yep, so you put, a personal record. Yeah. Yes, so you have a diary. I know that Tammy from Nurses and Midwives Against Bullying has recommended to our members that you might have two. So you have one about your reflective practice, et cetera, mm-hmm. but then you have another one. And that's the one that you start to document if there is anything inappropriate, unreasonable, unexpected in a workplace, professionally, industrially, behaviorally, whatever. And absolutely. And I will say that if things did get escalated, often diary entries are very much looked as evidence. So if you have a diary and you're making entries, then yes, but you need to make sure that you know that you're writing down the date, the time, who was involved, what was said and who it was witnessed by. If you don't want to have two diaries, you can do both. So you could put down the incident and then put how it made you feel because there are specific criteria to be deemed a bully and that is it has to be repetitive, it has Mm -hmm. to be ongoing, it has to be meant to intimidate or belittle. And sometimes we all have a bad day. And if somebody has a bad day and they're inappropriate and they come and they say, I'm really sorry, to me that is not the passion of behaviour. You know, we have to be a little bit understanding that we are all under, well, more so I shouldn't say we because I'm not in a clinical setting, <laughs> but nurses on the front line, yes. absolutely. And I think with COVID, the immense stress on n- nurses and midwives physically and mentally has really come into play and nurses have absolutely stepped up. I worked a lot of the COVID jobs. We did seem to band together more. There was more camaraderie. That's the yes. word, yeah. Like there yes. seemed to be less evidence of bullying in all the COVID jobs yes. I worked. I did not see anybody. It was just everyone banded together really well and really supported yeah. each other. And I, and I will say there are some amazing yeah. units. Not every single unit has got these sorts of things occurring. Yes, but what I would like to is I'm not just there to represent nurses that are going through any sort of disciplinary process because I'm not an industrial representative. I absolutely can be a support person. I can talk about the processes and how things should uh, Mm -hmm. be done if you're called to a meeting and all those sorts of things. But I also want to be a bit preemptive so it doesn't get to that point. So that you, for example, actually understand what your enterprise agreement clause means for a startup. What does it mean to get overtime? How do you have to go through the steps? Because nowadays, a number of employers have quite a few what I would say, very unreasonable steps to be given approved overtime. And nurses will just stay because that's sort of the unwritten rule. Oh, yeah, that always annoys me for doing unpaid overtime. I'm always like, this is never a solution. Like if you're staying yeah. and working for free, if you yeah. could stay because the work needs to be done, great. But make sure you're getting paid for it because this yeah. is your time and your life. And then if you're not getting paid for it, then it's sort of not – it's not being acknowledged by the employer. Oh, absolutely. You're having to do this extra yep. work. And if you aren't saving their budget, they're not going to stop you doing what you're doing. Of course. There is some sort of adverse event or incident that occurs. Often nurses put up with such rubbish that by the time they're actually willing to do something, they probably already followed a path that may not have been the best for them mm-hmm. or they responded in a way that they 
for example, they'll say, well, you know, I couldn't do my dressings, I couldn't do that. Well, you've just said that you didn't fulfill your obligations. Yeah. Again, the individual nurse is then this, want of a better word, a scapegoat. Yes, for this sort of bigger systemic problem, really. Yes, yes. And it, it serves employers well to have, or employer representatives to have nurses pit against each other than looking up. And again, not every manager is like this, I want to add, and not every middle manager. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they're the ones we're talking about. We're not talking about the great units because guess what? If it's a great unit, you've got staff that have been employed there for many years. Because if it's a great unit, those staff aren't leaving. That's right. And I have seen some amazing teamwork, particularly in the uh, oncology unit. You could just feel it. Everybody was so collegial. Everybody was so very helpful. And that was everybody in the unit, not just nurses. So I think there are absolutely great teams. And I know there are a lot of managers that want to do the right thing. And what I say to nurses is if you actually document and escalate and you have that chat with your manager and you say, I've done this for these reasons, you've actually given evidence that they can take to their manager. Mm-hmm. to increase the staffing, to have an appropriate skill mix, to have someone come on to provide meal relief. And there is yeah. a reason we need meal relief. It's not just something that, you know, should be, oh, well, I'm not having a break today. Yeah. There is a reason. Uh, and there's a lot of research and evidence that has gone into the effects of ha- not having a meal break. Well, I'd, I'd like nurses and midwives to understand they can look at their employer policy, but employer policies sometimes have been written that don't comply with regulations and standards, so they're meaningless. Yes. Your enterprise agreement, industrial law, workplace health and safety, they all sit well above that. So, you know, you might have a policy, sometimes it can be beneficial and sometimes not, but if you are going to be putting in a complaint, for example, yourself in a workplace, you must know what your employer policy is because often they'll have time frames. And if they don't comply, then you follow up very politely in writing. Again, we're not the best trying to deal with conflict uh, or non-compliance. Yeah. And so what I have seen is a lot of communication that doesn't start with dear or hello, doesn't end in a regards or thank you. And guess what? That makes it easy for them to say, oh, look at your behavior. You've given them them something to use against you. So again, if you're going to write some communication to confirm, for example, a conversation occurred, you start it off, dear, well, thank you very much for meeting with me or discussing with me Mm. on Tuesday the 5th. Can you just confirm or clarify my understanding? And you do a few dot points. Yeah. That's evidence gathering. It's very reasonable for any of your line managers to come and have a chat with you, all right? That's the yeah. other thing. It's lawful direction. And again, I've heard stories where nurses believe they're being bullied or treated unreasonably because everyone else does it. And I've gone, no, 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 no. This is a lawful direction. You can't deny this. Or if you make an error, you've got to wear it. If you make an error, you need to acknowledge this. And then you might say, well, actually, there are some mitigating circumstances that mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're aware of. You start to follow up with email messages. You decide as a team you're going to put things on a meeting, staff meeting agenda. You make sure the minutes reflect the discussion. Sometimes there is what I call lying by omission, and they're not in there. So guess what? As a participant, you have a right to say, I would like to amend these meeting minutes, or I'll get my num runs and we're not allowed to talk. Well, again, why don't you follow that up in an email and say, we have a number of uh, matters that we would like to discuss. And you get it documented. For example, in a, in a theatre unit, and it, this happened in a unit I was working mm-hmm. in, in fact, too, there wasn't any staff to cover breaks. As the activist in the workplace, I raised <laughs> it with my manager. Yeah. And we decided that we would tell the surgeon, uh, we're just letting you know that we will need to stop for lunch today. What time suits you? Because we all know if you work in theatres, the doctors are going to go out and have their lunch at some time. Of course. So you say yeah. and you have it documented. Yeah. Now, if a doctor loses their pool and they're not happy about that, they go and complain. But 
the nursing unit manager hopefully would say, well, actually, the nurses have this right. Now, we know doctors, again, they probably go to the boss. Well, the boss then knows that the doctor's not happy because the list had to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll actually roster appropriately. So every action you take, hopefully, you to improve it. But you have to take those steps. I worked in a regional facility in theatres and there was a, a manager who probably didn't even realise her, her manner. But one particular shift, I became very unhappy with the way that I was being spoken to in front of the team. And I just said to her, can you please stop speaking to me like that? It is inappropriate. You could have heard a pin drop in that room from everybody. And they all looked and I just carried on doing what I was doing. And now normally I would say, don't do those sorts of things in public. You go and have those little chats privately. But at that point, I was not going to allow it in front of everyone else to be spoken to. So after that, she came up to me and apologized. Yeah. And I will tell you, down the track, she actually became one of my workplace reps when I was at the QNMU. All it took yeah. was for me to say politely and draw it to her attention, What? please don't speak to me like that. But nurses don't even do that anymore, as far as I can hear or see. They tend to be too scared. Now, if you approach someone very politely, can we have a cup of coffee and a chat? Whether it's a peer or whether it's a team leader, you just grab a chat and you say, I feel that perhaps we have some issues. Is there something that we should chat about? Or I'm feeling this way. So in our show notes, I will pop a link to your website and also a link to the Facebook group as well. Fabulous. Thank you. That would be wonderful. And be sure to tune in next time for more laughs, thrills and real stories from real midwives on Head On View. I didn't know it was still recording.